Our text this morning is an entire chapter of Scripture. Second chapter of Ecclesiastes. You would stand with me as we read together God's Word. Hear now the Word of the Lord that is authoritative, sufficient, and true. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces." I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, and the delight, of the, ch- the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart, my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil." Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom, and madness, and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness." The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? 
For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this, Your Word. We pray that You would use it to affect our lives deeply and strongly, that we might look to the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him find all our sufficiency. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Solomon continues taking us on our journey as our guide. And as I've said to you before, this is not a 2,000-year-old journey. This is new. This is yesterday, today. You see, what he's saying is not very different than what people say today. There was a song of when I was in high school, some of you may remember, in which a lady spoke, sang of being a material girl, living in a material world and talking about all of the things that she would have and all of the things she could have and how good life would be for that reason. Some of you who are a little bit older remember an English group that had a song that began, I want it all and I want it now. But there's also one final pop song that many of you may recall. It's again from my high school, college days. But it's by a band that you young folks are probably still familiar with because they've had some longevity. You too. And one of their famous songs was, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Now, is Fred going to have to come up with new pop references and songs every week? Well, in a sense, perhaps yes. Because as I've said to you before, this is not a dusty old book about kings. This book of Ecclesiastes is a way to speak directly to your neighbors, co-workers, and friends who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, the problems that Solomon is pointing out are the same problems today. And the Bible is equipping us to tell others of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ in the context of real people's lives. There's another benefit as well. It's a blessing to us to see the error of our former ways and to push them behind us and to run on in the race. The race that has been set before us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Solomon is laying out here that it is vain to look for life in pleasure. You cannot be a material girl or a material boy or even a material mom or dad. It doesn't work. And Solomon will show us it's vain to look for life in pleasure. But he also wants to point out that it's vain to look for life in work. Some of us look at those who are caught up in the latest thing and in pleasure, and we laugh at them and we say, ha, if they would only work 23 hours a day like we do. We're actually building something substantive. There's real meaning in what I'm doing. And Solomon says, 
That's vanity too, apart from God. And then Solomon brings us, it's the first real ray of hope. No, it's not a ray. It's a blaze of sunshine at the end of this chapter. And he says, if you think life is vain because you can't find worth in wisdom or in pleasure or in goods, or in work. Let me tell you where worth is found. You will find life in God. Well, let us then begin, as Solomon continues to probe us, in looking for pleasure in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The first thing that Solomon says is, I need to find meaning in life under the sun, apart from God. Can I find it in good feelings? You see, often we say that. We try to find happiness, meaning in life, in our own good feelings. And there are various ways in which this appears. For example, the first thing that we see from Solomon is that this is not an idle quest. He is not a dilettante. He is not someone who goes around and does one thing very furiously for a few minutes and then abandons it for something else. He pursues it to the end. He says... I said in my heart, I purposed, I decided. Solomon is being very deliberate here. And he says, I'm going to test you, heart. I'm going to push you to the limits to see if you can find meaning in pleasure. Go ahead, enjoy yourself. And he says, first let me look at laughter. And then let me look at pleasure. Now, different translations translate these two words differently. Some translate Pleasure as joy or mirth is the old King James. But the point here is there are two slightly different concepts. When Solomon looks for life in laughter, he's looking for life in superficial gaiety. We might say this. There's a verb that young people have used for a generation or so. They've taken a noun called party and made it a verb. What are you going to do this Friday night? Oh, I'm going to go party. What does that mean? Well, I think some of us, maybe many of us, maybe all of us know what that means. He wants to find meaning and happiness in crudeness, base enjoyment, guffawing. The word here for laughter is the word that's used of the joke of a fool. It's also the word that's used for laughing stock. When Jeremiah was prophesying and everyone thought he was nuts, they used to point at him and laugh. That's what they would do. Laughter. You see, Solomon's trying to find meaning in plain old fun. Abandoning all responsibility. And he says, it's mad. Now, when the Scripture says something is mad, it doesn't just mean that it's someone in need of clinical help. No. Madness in the Scripture is always linked to perversity, immorality, uselessness. Solomon says this is useless. It's worthless. After a short test of time, he finds no meaning in that at all. He says, well, let me try pleasure. Let me try thoughtful pleasure. Joy. And this is more refined. This is not going out and drinking a beer and belching, taking off your shirt at a football game and painting yourself whatever color. No, this is more refined. This is finding joy and pleasure around 
wine with big cigars or the finest of whiskey. This is refined pleasure, but it's pleasure nonetheless. It's abandoning all that's important and seeking to find meaning in those experiences. And Solomon says, that doesn't work for me either. I have it all. I have my choice of the finest of wines, the best of food, the best of company, the best beds, the best couches, the best chairs, the best clothes. But it's all vanity. It's useless. He says, what use is it? I'm bored already. I find no meaning at all. And he says, ah, I know what I can do. I won't just try and find the experience. I'll try and alter myself. I will start to take wine. I'll try and find happiness in the way I can make my body feel through a substance. This is something that plagues America everywhere. It plagues the church. No, not just the things that you're thinking about now. The various drugs that we see on television and we hear about cartels and foreign nations and murders. No. There are some who try and find pleasure in wine, just as Solomon did. Some in cigarettes. Some in food. Some even kids in dessert or candy. Life will just be good if I get that piece of cake. If I get that candy bar, everything is good. Otherwise, everything is miserable. You see, you're trying to find meaning and happiness right there in a substance. It happens to adults. It happens to children. It happens to everyone in between. We think that we can make ourselves satisfied and find meaning in a nice steak. Now, a nice steak is good. And I like a piece of cake as well as everyone else. But under the sun, apart from God... It's meaningless. It's digested and gone. Well, then Solomon says, I'll try another suggestion here. I'm going to lay hold of folly. Now, that's sort of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Folly. What does that mean? Let me put it to you this way. What Solomon says is, well, I've tried wisdom and that doesn't work. I've tried pleasure and that's not working. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to let it all hang out. I'm going to be irrational. I'm going to do crazy things. These are the sorts of things you read about in a newspaper or see on television. Someone has a near-death experience and they decide that the way to find meaning in life is to bungee jump off everything bigger than 12 feet. Or to parasail. Or to try underwater deep-sea diving because they can and it's dangerous. You see, our culture is filled with this. Do you have trouble? Shut off your mind. Be irrational. Try and find meaning in the lack of meaning. Do crazy things for no reason at all. But Solomon says, that's meaningless too. I'm trying to find out what's good under, under heaven for the children of men, and even folly doesn't work. It's irrational. Well, he says, well, I've looked in pleasure... I'm trying to find good feelings. He says, can I find good feelings in stuff? We start with impressive stuff. I want you to notice from verse 4 down how many times the word myself occurs. I built for myself. I made for myself. I did for myself. 
Now, if we continue to contend as we have that Solomon is the author here, we see that he is building houses and temples. We could go back in the Scriptures and see all of the wondrous things that he built for himself. But he did build one other thing, didn't he? One thing that's not mentioned here. A pretty big thing. John's been speaking about the rebuilding of that thing in his sermons on Haggai. Solomon built the great temple. Why doesn't he even mention it here? The scripture goes on at length of how rich it was and how the materials came from everywhere and how marvelous it was. Why? Because Solomon is not trying to find meaning in building a temple to God. He's trying to find meaning in building stuff for himself. He can't wander around the temple at night. He can't break stuff in the temple just because he feels like breaking it. It's not his. He's trying to find meaning in his own things. And then he says, well, I'm building big things, but that's not satisfying me. Maybe I'll try something else. And he says, I built gardens. And I put trees and watered them in. He's trying creativity. Those of you that are artistic know this, perhaps, as you see other people. Others try to find meaning, not maybe in the quantity of things, but in the quality of things. You know, people who look down their noses at those who collect the latest gadgets or the latest cars, but they will spend 29 days out of a month painting a painting and ignoring the rest of the world around trying to be creative, trying to find meaning in creativity. Solomon is trying to be so creative. Do you see what he's trying to create? He's trying to create a garden, rich and with trees, lavish. He's trying to create Eden. Except for there's one difference between Solomon's Eden and the real Eden. There's no forbidden fruit. Do you see that Solomon says, there was nothing that I kept myself from. He's trying to recreate paradise in a way that personally serves him. And he has the means to do it. And in the end of the day, he says, well, doesn't do it. Then he tries power. He gets slaves. He buys them. He has them born in his household. He orders people around. Still, he's empty. And then finally, he builds up wealth. He says, I built up all these things. Men, women, concubines. All of the stuff that I had was the greatest that there ever was in Jerusalem. And it's meaningless. Now Solomon is pointing this out, and we need to listen to him. What does that mean to us? It means, mom and dad, when you build that perfect house that you're going to live in forever, you're not going to find meaning in it. You may even move from it the house that you built with your own hands to live for the rest of your life. It means your 401k isn't going to give you meaning, even though you are the guy socking away more than anybody else in the company. You're not going to find meaning. It means, young people, that you're not going to find meaning if you scrape up enough money to go to the perfect school. No. It means, kids, life will not be perfect when you get the next webcam. Or the next Lego. Or baseball glove. You think now it will just make everything perfect. All of your troubles will go away if I just get that for my birthday or just get that for Christmas. Solomon says, 
I'll see that and raise you a couple of thousand. And let me tell you, it doesn't do it. You don't find meaning in it. He says, as a matter of fact, I get great disillusionment. He says, I give up. Look at the end of this section here at verse 11. He says, after I considered all this, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained. He's piling up negatives. He says, you can't find meaning in pleasure. So then he moves then to work. He says, well, maybe being a lazy bones isn't the way to do it. Maybe it's, I'll be known as the hardest working man in show business or king business. And in verse 12, he says, so I turned to consider wisdom and the madness of folly. He says, I couldn't understand folly, so now maybe I'll just try and live reasonably. It's, of course, the next logical step. In verse 12, he consciously turns his mind, so I turned to consider. He's seen that irrationality doesn't work, so now he'll try and see if wisdom works. And it does work to an extent. He will say that it's practically a benefit to have wisdom. You know, it's better to be smart than dumb. It's better to look both ways before you cross the street than to dash out in the middle of it. On a practical level. But he says, you know what? I can't find meaning in my life in looking both ways. I've got to do it, but there's no meaning there. There's practical benefits in wisdom, but it's, there's no meaning. There's no ultimate difference. Why? He says, because the same event happens to both. What's the event he's talking about? Well, the wisest man on the face of the earth dies. And the foolish the most foolish man in the face of the earth dies. The same event befalls them. You see, it's even a syllogism we use in teaching logic, right? All men are mortal. Socrates, a wise philosopher, is a man. Therefore, Socrates is mortal. You see, there's no exception there for wise men. We tend to think that we can do this today, that if we just find enough science, we can kick death. We can't. You see, the same event, the same providence of God happens to everyone. And you know what's interesting? Verse 16. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. The irony here is that Solomon is preaching to the one who is without God, and those who are without God are constantly telling us this. What happens after you die? Well, it's all nothing. You're ground into powder and there's nothing. And nobody remembers you. There's no meaning in life. There's no afterlife. Everything is just the end. There's no remembrance. And Solomon says, you're right. If you try to find meaning in something you're doing here in work, he says, well, wait a minute. What if maybe I can find meaning in a legacy. In a legacy. He says, you know what I will do? I will toil. Verse 18. I will toil under the sun. And he says, there's one problem with that. I've worked awfully hard. I have amassed a great deal of wealth. But the problem is, number one, you can't keep it. You die and it's gone. You can't hold on to what you have labored for so long and hard forever. And he says it's also obvious that you can't take it with you. 
So what is the use of trying to find my ultimate meaning in the stuff I build? Now, you may not build palaces, but there are people who spend their entire lives building a company. Their marriages are shot. Their children wind up hating them. And what do they have to show for it when they die? Nothing. There are others who spend all of their life trying to become the perfect athletic coach. And again, trying to find meaning and substance in it. And after they die, what happens? Someone else comes in and takes their place. And Solomon says, someone else who comes in may mess up the joint. Right? I'm glad, for example, that a man by the name of Tom Landry claims the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Because if I were him and I had placed all my meaning in what I could do to build up the Dallas Cowboys, I'd go home crying every night. As the people who follow me bring in scandals that were never known under his leadership, and as they suffered defeats and bad seasons that they never suffered, what about the greatest of Houston Oilers coaches? They don't even have a team here anymore called the Houston Oilers. It's gone. You see, you can't find meaning in your work. Solomon is not saying, and we're going to push this in a minute, that work is bad, but you cannot throw yourself into your work as if that will give you meaning and purpose. It cannot be done. Solomon's a perfect example of this. He says, you know, who knows? I might have to give it to someone, and they might mess it up. They might ruin it. Like Solomon's son. <laughs> Has the kingdom like 15 minutes, and he busts it apart. Right? All of this that David and Solomon had built up and handed on a silver platter in order to impress some of the dudes around the palace, Rehoboam destroys. He says, yeah, you're right, young guys. I'll tax him to death and lord it over. Bang, there goes the kingdom. You see, we can't find meaning in there. And Solomon says, now I really give up. I can't find meaning in pleasure. I can't find meaning in a legacy. Because you see, it's actually worse than useless. He says in verse 23, My days are full of sorrow and work is vexation. It's worse than being vain. It's actually downright hurting me to try and find meaning in these things. And he says, you know what? I can't even sleep at night. Now I want you to have a word picture in your mind here. Solomon, his word is law. He has everything anyone could possibly desire at this time. Food, clothing, wives, homes, everything. And he can't sleep at night. And now I want you to picture a man who's lying on a dirt floor, probably after having been beaten, waiting his execution. It's Acts 12, and his name is Peter. And what does Peter do? He sleeps like a baby. Because it's not about the circumstances. It's Peter following the principle of our Lord in the midst of the storm, sleeping in the boat. Because he knows he is secure. That's what God calls you to today in Jesus Christ. You see, if you have ulcers... 
if you have eye twitches, if you have upset stomachs, because the world is weighing you down, the solution is to stop focusing on the world and start focusing on Christ. It's not to stop working. Solomon didn't stop working. But it's not to find meaning there, because if you try and find meaning there, every little mistake will drive you insane and will depress you. Every time you have messed up will cause you to be weighed down with a burden. But if your eyes are on Christ, every time you make a mistake, every time you blow it, is an opportunity to run to Jesus. What a blessing. You see, Solomon says you cannot find meaning in your pleasure or in your work. Where do we find meaning then? Verse 24 is the turning verse of this book. comes awfully early. He says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. I want you to notice that the chapter doesn't end there. You see, many people take this verse out of context. Here's a little lesson in how to avoid bad Bible interpretation. You don't take one verse completely out of context and make it say something. Because if I take that verse out, what am I saying? Solomon is saying the exact same thing that Paul said that the pagans at Athens said. That is, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Who cares? Party, party, party. But that's not what he said. He's saying there's nothing better than to find enjoyment, to eat and to drink. It's a biblical way of saying find contentment. And how do we have this contentment? How do we have this enjoyment? This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. You see, the good news of the Gospel is, there is contentment in your work. It is a good thing to enjoy work. The good news of the Gospel is, there is contentment in a great stake, done exactly the way you want it. The good news of the Gospel is, kids, there can be contentment and joy in Legos and baseballs and crossword puzzles. But it's only when that is placed in the structure of having meaning with God. And you are never too young nor too old to learn that. The New Testament reference to this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verse 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And then he says in chapter 6, to press the point home, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. It's okay to be content and to like your house. I like my house. I like it so much, I tell many of you that I'm going to die in it. I don't ever want to leave it. But as much as I love my house, my house isn't perfect. You will hear me complain about my driveway. It's too small. I can't get two cars side by side. Many of you love your job. I catch you on a bad day. Your job isn't so fun. I know from talking to you that you love your children. Again, there are days when you're pulling out your hair and you wonder, wow. Some of you are enjoying school and looking forward to a career. And as it comes up to exam time, you think, oh, this is miserable. Why did I do this? You see, 
Circumstances vary. God does not. And if we look to the contentment of circumstances in God, we will always find meaning and contentment. You see, there is no enjoyment apart from God. Solomon says it directly. He says, apart from Him, there is no enjoyment. You see, the same things that Solomon has been talking about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's talking about here. Eating and drinking. Wisdom. Knowledge. The difference is, back then they were vanity, now they're contentment because God is now in the picture. If you flip back through chapters 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, you will see God mentioned but once or twice in an offhand fashion. And now here, we have things from the hand of God. Those who pleases God. Those who please God. God is front and center in Solomon's view. And he says, this is where meaning is. You see, the meaning is found in God, not in the work. But the work has meaning in God. Why do I say that? Well, sometimes teenagers need to learn something. They look at people around them and they say, you know, he's caught up in the rat race. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to neglect my family. I don't want to do that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a bum. I'm going to spend all my time at home with my family. And oh, if we don't have anything, that would be fine. You know what? It's not the fact that he works hard that's wicked. It's the fact that he works hard apart from God that's wicked. Work is good. <laughs> Contentment can be found in all of these circumstances. Trying to say, well, no work will find contentment is just another set of circumstances to lay up. You see, there is no hope without God. That's why there's no contentment. You see, what spoils all of these things, pleasure, wine, women, parties, wisdom, is our hunger to get more of it. Because we can never have enough. You know, they interviewed on 2020 as a part of a charitable giving uh, survey. They interviewed, I think it was, a half dozen billionaires. And they interviewed Ted Turner and asked him why he didn't give more now. And he said, well, you know, you can always make more money. And I want to make sure I don't run out. And, and John Stossel looked at me and said, I, th- I think you're worth like $2 billion. He says, well, you never know. Markets change. See, it's never enough. You could have Bill Gates... I would venture to say that apart from Jesus Christ, Bill Gates goes home and has at least some level of worry about his financial situation. He may hide it. But you see, we always want more. You see, Solomon says this. He says, what's the business of the sinner? It's gathering and collecting. The Hebrew is very specific here, and the English is a good translation. What is he gathering and collecting? You don't see anything, do you? You see, the life of a sinner apart from God is just simply to get stuff. It doesn't matter what kind of stuff. All different kinds of stuff. It's like a great Chinese menu. I'll take one from column A, one from column B, two from column C, three from column D. Just trying to find meaning. And this business, the business of gathering and collecting, takes us right back to chapter 1, verse 13. And I applied my heart to seek out and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. The life of a sinner is miserable. 
All of those songs, all of those poems, all of those stories where people talk about how it'll be great, we'll party it up in hell. We're going to have a good time now and a bigger party then is a lie. Contentment, pleasure, and gain is found in God and in Jesus Christ. But it's not just that there is no hope without God. The only hope and all our hope is found in God. He says there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. You see, God wants us to be content. He wants us to be blessed. Not that that means that every Christian has more money than every non-Christian. Or every Christian who prays hard has a better car or a bigger house. No, it means that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ should be at his core or at her core a more content, happier person than one who does not know God. Contentment is what God is after. And where does this joy come from? Where does this contentment come from? It comes from the hand of God. You see, God is about giving us Things that give us contentment. And you see, it's not that heaven will have different things than we have now. It's that heaven will be perfect because we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. To conclude, the point that Solomon is making by means of the negative, by attacking all of the things we try and find meaning in, the Apostle Paul makes in the New Testament the same point in the positive. He writes to the Ephesians and he says, We have been blessed in Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing in the eternal places. Our citizenship, he tells the Philippians, is already in heaven. And I look at everything that I had and I count it as worthless up against the matchless worth of Jesus Christ. You see, if you have Jesus, you don't need to find meaning in pleasure. You don't need to find meaning in money. You don't need to find meaning in a legacy. You've already got meaning. You have meaning because the One who created you has declared that you have meaning. And you are His child. That is real contentment. That is real life. That is what gets you through difficult times. Things come and go. Moth, rust, canker, the whole stuff you know from the Gospels. But contentment in godliness with Jesus Christ lasts literally an eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have blessed us through this Word from Solomon. And we pray, O Lord, that You would give us the wisdom to find meaning only in God. To stop looking for life in all the wrong places. We pray that You would, even today, point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.